The following podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Anima stood outside the barrow. The wind was blowing gently but steadily around her, the trees rustling in the forest that surrounded the small clearing in which the low hump of the barrow formed the central feature. There was little sign of anything special, but Anima knew in her heart that this was the place. She knew that she needed to open the entranceway and find the courage to descend into the heart of that place. There awaited her destiny, the reason she had travelled all this way and suffered so many trials. This was the place. At that moment she heard it for the first time, the voice of the wolf howling. It set her heart aflame. Anima knew what she must do. My name is Che Webster and this is Roleplay Rescue's Solo Tales, a podcast collecting adventure tales created by mashing up traditional storycraft with old-style pen and paper roleplaying games. This is episode zero for Anima's Tale, the first in what I hope will become a collection of tales created and shared over time with you, the listener. Welcome. In case you don't know me, I am the host of the Roleplay Rescue podcast, which about two years ago was a project I began to share my thoughts about the value of role-playing games as an outlet for our basic human need for creativity and play. That show is all about calling lapsed tabletop roleplayers back to the table and, over time, has evolved into a wonderful community of discovery in which many people have found acceptance as returning players. While I enjoy playing old-style tabletop role-playing games with friends, both face-to-face and online, I have also long felt that there are more tales of adventure hidden within my heart than I could ever hope to bring to my friends. Social time is limited in our modern world, where work and family pressures squeeze us into ever smaller spaces for play and recreation. What I have discovered is that it is possible to play and create exciting stories alone as a solo player. 
For a long time now, I have had an idea hanging around me, seeking to get my attention, encouraging me to commit to it. The idea is in some ways a simple one, but as with most ideas, the application will probably prove to be much harder than I anticipate. Because of this, I have been holding back from committing to this idea. Today, however, I feel that it is time to either make that commitment or to give up on the idea and allow it to wander wherever it will to find another creative mind with which to collaborate. This idea has, let's be honest, been very patient with me. I've been dithering around and delaying giving it my answer for around 40 years. Yes, you see, this idea first appeared to me in a dream when I was probably around 9 or 10 years of age. The idea showed me what my adult self recognises now as being a secondary world. A world that is imaginary and yet, in some sense, almost as real to my mind and heart as the objective one which most of us agree exists around us right now. To be perfectly frank, while I recognise that this secondary world is imaginary, in some ways it is a place that feels more real to me than the world within which my body currently resides. Back then, when the idea showed up and opened the eyes of the inner imagination to this world, it also told me the name of the place. Mykovnia. Scenes from that world have showed up in dreams several times over the years. To my rational self, I recognise these dreams as somehow journeys into what Carl Jung, the eminent psychoanalysist, termed the collective unconscious. The scene that I have decided to commit to exploring further in the first instance, the scene of the young woman standing alone in front of a cairn or barrow, first appeared in a dream some ten or so years ago. The story arrived and was shared in a small descriptive way with a pair of younger friends with whom I was working to support through some very difficult emotional and psychological times. In many ways I am hugely grateful to those two young people because they put me back in touch with the idea of Mykovnia. I was also grateful because these two young people were able to accept the mythic nature of the dream and understand it for what it was. Permission to dream and share one's imagination, however dark those dreams can sometimes appear to be. Over the years, I have tried on a few occasions to summon up the courage to share the world of Mykovnia with people around me. At first I believed that perhaps this was the venue for a novel or, at the very least, a series of short stories. The truth is that I have never felt truly at ease with the writing of fiction in the classical sense. Eventually, back at the time of the arrival of the dream I have been talking about, maybe ten years ago, I made the connection between the idea of Mykovnia and the playing of traditional pen and paper role-playing games, a feature of my private life ever since the days when the idea of Mykovnia first showed up wanting to work with me. You see, when I was about nine years old, I stole the first role-playing game I ever owned from my father. He had bought a copy of the UK edition of the RuneQuest role-playing game, a beautifully illustrated box set, and quickly discarded it as not being something he was interested in. To the nine-year-old me, however, this was treasure. I squirreled it away to my bedroom, opened the box, smelled the fresh scent of printed glory, and pored over the books and other trinkets within. In that moment, 
I discovered the wonder of pen and paper role-playing games went far deeper than I had previously realised. Yes, I did know about role-playing games, because my friends had introduced me to the Traveller science fiction game, for which I still hold a great debt of gratitude. But it wasn't until I discovered the edges of the world of Glorantha and the mechanisms of RuneQuest that I felt the magic and potential of this game that is more than a game. And so. Today, I am making a commitment to this idea of Mykovnia. I have abandoned dreams of novels, but embraced a different path. I choose to discover the path of Mykovnia and explore it through the medium of traditional pen and paper role-playing games. I choose to bring it to life through play in two senses. Firstly and primarily, as a solo exploration of the world and its people. Secondarily, as a setting that I choose to document and eventually offer back to the gaming community for play in the more usual corporate manner. In other words, I'm going to play alone and share the outcomes with anyone who chooses to join me. I recognise that I need to commit to this idea in a long-term sense, to give it food and air. The idea expects it to be shared. I agree to these terms. That's why, instead of a novel, I have chosen to share the product of my adventures in the way that I have come to know best, as a podcast. I'm going to record and share the stories that I experienced during solo play, and as I do so, I aim to document the world as it is explored, viewing this as a traditional game master might view preparation for a game with a group of players in a face-to-face -face or online campaign. As a role-playing game, this will be my own specific rendition of a system of play based upon a published game but inevitably customised to fit the idea of Mykovnia. No published game fits the imagined secondary world I have discovered quite well enough. Additionally, however, I intend to learn and develop my own specific methodology for play, both solo and, in time, for corporate play. Finally, this will be my own presentation of the world of Mykovnia, as shown through the lens of play and in written traveller's notes. To this I hereby gratefully commit. Thank you to whatever power has sent this idea to me for collaboration. And without any further ado, let's begin. Given my nature as a highly inquisitive person, with perhaps a quick and certainly hungry mind, I very much doubt that I could sustain a long and committed tale with just one set of characters in just one place. Knowing this, I've decided to work towards sharing a collection of shorter stories and, along the way, try to show you how such adventures can be created. Solo role-playing is incredibly rich and offers creative people a genuine way in to the sometimes bewildering world of pen and paper role-playing games. By the way, by solo role-playing, I specifically mean playing these games alone. Just me, some dice, pencil, paper, and maybe one or two additional tools here and there. Some people call sitting down with a game master and just one player solo play, but Clearly, this is not the case. Solo play means playing on your own. The smallest possible group is two people, but that is not the same as playing alone. 
Before we get started, let me first thank and acknowledge the amazing work of two people who have shaped my understanding of solo play, plus one person who has directly inspired and encouraged this podcast. The first is Tana Pigeon, creator of the groundbreaking Mythic Game Master Emulator, part of the Mythic role-playing game published by Wordmill Games. Thank you to Tana for helping me stretch beyond my childhood Billy No Mates days of playing alone in my bedroom. You gave me the tools to transcend. Thank you. The second great influence on me was Kenny Norris. His solo role player website posts published throughout 2015 and 2016 and his amazingly helpful guide to playing alone published in 2015 were hugely important to me. It was the saddest thing when Kenny dropped offline and went silent around the end of 2016. Kenny, if you're listening to this, you changed my life and saved my role-playing hobby. Thank you. Last, but by no means least, I want to acknowledge the amazing work of John, the creator of the fantastic Tale of the Manticore podcast, which has inspired this one. John and I have been encouraging one another on and off for months, and I can only hope to attain the excitement, drama and quality of his work. But if you want to see how this adventure gaming thing can be done with Dungeons & Dragons, the original and classic fantasy role-playing game, then please check out Tale of the Manticore. I'll stick a link in the show notes for this episode. Thank you, John, for inspiring us all. Now then, having said all of that, it's time to begin some play. Let's enter Anima's Tale. Before anyone begins to play a role-playing game, it's important to make a few key decisions which will provide a framework around which we can build a narrative with a goal of telling a story. Unlike with a novel, role-playing games don't just involve sitting down and writing out the narrative in a traditional sense. Role-playing games are a collaborative endeavour, usually combining the ideas and decisions of multiple players to create a kind of improvised narrative. It's much like playing cops and robbers or army back when I was a kid, in that the players take on the roles of characters within a story and together form a narrative that emerges through playing the game together. These are primarily verbal forms of play augmented by the rolling of dice and using a framework of rules. Why use rules? Well, when I was a kid there would inevitably be a moment when I wanted one outcome and another player wanted something different. Perhaps I would declare that, bang, you're dead, and my opponent in the fight would stridently object, no I'm not, my flak jacket protects me. Did we previously agree that she was wearing a flak jacket? Probably not. The claim was a narrative invention, a decision being asserted in the free-form exchange we were enjoying. Without any objective arbiter, it came down to who shouted louder, or, more commonly, who had the biggest influence within the group. In a pen and paper role-playing game, the traditional arbiter is a special player who is often called the Game Master. The rules we use help that person to adjudicate the outcomes of situations just like this. Firstly, they'd probably ask my opponent if she had the flak jacket recorded on the character sheet, the reference document each player keeps in front of them during gameplay. If my opponent's character does have the jacket, then the next question becomes, does the bullet I fired penetrate the flak jacket's protective layer? 
Here, then, is where we can turn to the rules of the game to help. Of course, more than that, we'd have also used the game rules to help adjudicate the question that neither of my childlike players had previously considered. Do I hit my opponent with the gunshot in the first place? Rules help the game master to adjudicate the outcome in any situation in which the ability of the player's characters to achieve their immediate goal is called into question. Because it matters if my bullet hits my opponent, we would use the rules to help us decide. If it did, the game rules would also answer the question of whether the bullet penetrates the armoured jacket and, if it does, how bad the injury received is for the affected player. Because this is a solo game, I have to take on the role of both the player and the game master. It'll be important for me to switch back and forth between being an excited and invested player of my character and the fair, impartial game master. This is why one of the biggest choices I need to make will be which set of rules to use so that I can keep things both meaningful and fair. On top of that, I have to consider the goals of my play. I want to run a series of different games across multiple worlds and genres, potentially. I prefer to keep my gaming both simple to do and grounded in verisimilitude, a sense of reality within the context of the game's fantastic world. Imagining myself playing in small snatches of time, here and there in my busy life as a high school teacher, also as a husband and podcaster, well, I need a game that I can do a lot with a little. My choice is the generic universal role-playing system, GURPS for short, published by Steve Jackson Games. This game is multi-genre, only uses regular six-sided hexahedral dice that I can easily slip in my pocket and uses rules I can easily remember. What's even better is that by using GURPS I can reference the free-for-you-to-download GURPS light rules for this first game. Once we've got going, I fully intend to introduce us to the full basic set and go further to expand our options, but that isn't necessary right out of the gate. So here we go. I've got a copy of the GURPS light rules on my iPad, three hexahedral dice in my hand, they could have been stolen from an old board game at a push, and a pencil is on standby. I'll be writing down the narrative in a large format A4 notebook I have specially put aside for this project. And with all of that decided, it's time to give you a sense of the world Anima lives in. Let's dive into play. Adventures need characters, and characters need a world to be part of. Anima, who we met at the start, lives in a primal fantasy world that I imagine in the loosest terms right now. Her people are roughly late Stone Age hunter-gatherers living deep in an ancient forest which keeps them sheltered from wild animals and other aggressive tribes. Their village is located near a cave-filled rocky outcrop that has deep underground caverns sacred to the shaman of the tribe. There are maybe 30 to 60 people living in small circular wattle and daub huts that have been more recently built, perhaps in the last two or three generations, since the tribe moved out of the caves above. Anima is a young woman, about 12 years of age, who has just entered womanhood and been accepted to train as the shaman's apprentice. 
Unlike many role-playing games, GURPS doesn't encourage players to randomly generate a character, but rather asks them to envision an idea, a character concept, and then to build that character with an in-game currency cunningly called character points. The rules of the game tell us that average human folk begin with 20 to 25 character points. Just for a sense of scale, your typical leading hero in a fantasy novel or movie like I know Legolas or Aragorn from Lord of the Rings would have perhaps 200 or 300 character points or more. I'm not a big fan of superpowered characters, preferring to bring my play quickly and in a more grounded style. As Anima is an adolescent and newly apprenticed character in this imagined primal world, I'm going to give her the top end of average, 50 points. So let's dive into the process of creating her for the game. Role-playing game characters are defined using a set of characteristics, or statistics if you prefer, which are often written down on a piece of paper laid out to organise the details for quick reference in play. We call this a character sheet. I'm not going to bore you with my entire thought process here, but I've gone off mic for about 20 minutes with a pencil and paper design anima ready for play. Here's the basics of what we need to know. The main attributes for this game are four in number. Strength, which measures how much physical power and bulk she has. Dexterity, a combination of agility, coordination and fine motor ability. Intelligence, broadly measuring her creativity, intuition, perception, reason, sanity and willpower. And health, which shows how much stamina, toughness and basic grit she has. A totally average human person scores 10 in all four areas, which, when we roll three six-sided dice to test each of those abilities in the game, aiming to roll equal to or less than that basic score, gives a roughly 50% chance of success as a baseline in all four faculties. I imagine Anima as a shaman's apprentice, connected to the spirit realm and quick-witted, as well as being agile and swift-footed. On the other hand, at 12 years old, she isn't yet as strong as most adults. I've given her strength 8, dexterity 11, intelligence 11, and health 10. I've decided she's left-handed and picture her as slim and tall for her age, with long brown hair, tanned skin, and hazel eyes. I like to think of her as being attractive, a trait that might help in some situations, but which does cost a few character points. I think the reason she has been chosen to train as a shaman is her natural affinity for animals, so I've given her an advantage, animal, animal empathy, empathy, which helps with reading the motivations of beasts. For fun, I've decided to give her a disadvantage too. Anna is an arachnophobe, scared of spiders, ever since being attacked by one of the deadly hunter spiders as a young child. For skills, I've listed her as having experience with animal handling, the people keep tamed wolfhounds to help with hunting, and a range of skills I thought would be useful to a prehistoric woman growing up in a hunter-gatherer society. Please note that in this story, I am seeking to imagine the world in a realistic manner that includes some ways of thinking and believing that do not reflect my personal ideas or beliefs. That is a big part of the joy of role-playing, imagining ourselves in a different world of ideas and behaviours. It's a big reason I insist this podcast is for a mature audience. So if you're likely to be triggered by pre-modern attitudes, not to mention descriptions of violence and some mild descriptions of blood and injury, then this might not be the story for you. 
Anyway, you don't have to worry about any of that for the remainder of this episode, but do consider carefully whether this is a challenge you would rather not attempt to deal with in your leisure time. That said, if you want to see Anima's character sheet, then there is a digital copy of it available at my blog, roleplayrescue.com slash solotales. And that's it for this episode zero of Anima's Tale, the first story I aim to present here at Roleplay Rescue's Solo Tales. The show is planned to deliver at least one episode per month, and I very much hope that I can find time to, on occasion, put out an episode each fortnight. Please bear in mind that this game is being played ad hoc in small snatches of time in my otherwise busy life. I can't guarantee that I'll be able to play the game, tidy up the notes, record the narrative, edit the episode, add in music and sound effects, and all of that on any more than a regular monthly schedule. I hope you've enjoyed this episode, enjoyed the premise, and are ready for more. If you are, please consider leaving a review for the show on iTunes and telling other potential listeners why you feel you like what you've heard. There is no greater honour than to read your encouraging endorsement on iTunes. Of course, if you hate the show, then feel free to simply give that a pass. <laughs> or not, as you prefer. I'm not a big fan of those folk who only want to hear the positive feedback, but I do know that bad news travels once around the world before good news has even got its shoes on. Thanks for listening. I hope you'll tune in again and download the first full episode once I get it edited and out here. So to finish, my name is Che Webster, this is Roleplay Rescue's Solo Tales, and remember, when you're discovering the narrative in an RPG, it's fun to let the dice decide. Game on. <laughs>